0: Well, this morning, please open your Bible, if you would, to the book of Luke. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke the 19th chapter, and then go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Zechariah. We'll be looking in the book of Zechariah at three different chapters during the message. So you'll want to camp there, look at the table of contents, ask your neighbor if they know where Zechariah is, uh, give whatever help you need, find it, because we're going to be reading a lot of verses from the book of Zechariah. Everybody loves a parade, well, most everybody loves a parade, the, the excitement, the joy, the band, the floats, uh, nowadays, whatever we have, the fireworks, whatever goes on with the parade. Times have not changed because people in biblical days loved <clears throat> a parade, a time for celebration of marching, a triumphant marching of some hero that would come down the streets of the city. The title of a message today is, The King is Coming. Two thousand years ago, the King, Lord Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came through and into the city of Jerusalem. One day he will come again, and he will come through the city of Jerusalem. So that's why the message is entitled, The King is Coming. Let's look and see this triumphal entry, which is the beginning of the Passion Week, as we know it, a time leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it you will find a colt or a donkey tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on it, and as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed in heaven and glory in the highest. And then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he replied, I tell you, they keep quiet. The stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem, saw the city. He wept over it. And then he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The day will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side and they will dash you to the ground. You and the children within the walls. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The king is coming. As I said, everybody loves a parade, especially when a hero enters into the town. Back uh, years ago, in fact, uh, I believe it was in 45 B.C., historians tell us that the great emperor, Julius Caesar, entered into Rome after a great conquest by the army. entered into Rome uh, on a golden chariot. And the chariot, now get this, was being pulled by 40 elephants. Can you imagine such an entrance? Well, the city of Rome celebrated the great victory. The Jews had known great victories as well where they had celebrated, and they had heroes that would come through the cities of Jerusalem. One in particular that comes out is one by the name of Judas Maccabeus. He lived during the time of what's called the intertestament period, around 165 B.C., And history tells us that he led a revolt against the Syrians because at that time the Syrians were occupying the city of Jerusalem. He rallied the people and the armies together. They defeated the the Syrians. And therefore he marched triumphantly on a huge stallion into the city of Jerusalem. And there was a great celebration as Judas Maccabeus celebrated and everybody celebrated their great uh, triumph. But, and then what he did was, because the Syrians had desecrated the temple, he cleaned the temple, put it back together, and set up a huge, uh, what we would say today is a candelabra. The Jews call it a menorah. And for eight days, the candles burned, giving off light, saying, Victory has come. In fact, that's why today our Jewish friends celebrate what we know as Hanukkah, which is called the Festival of Lights. eight days of the celebration of the festival of of light, So, a celebration is something that's not unusual to uh, the Jewish people. So the first thing I want you to see here is that there's a little bit of a difference, though, about the entrance of Jesus as he approaches the city of Jerusalem. The first thing is the entrance of the king. I want you to see, first of all, that it is a humble entrance. It is a humble entrance. Notice that he said to them. If you'll look in verse 30, it says, Go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you'll find a colt or a donkey. You know, I told you about Caesar and how that he had the elephants. told you about how Judas Maccabeus had the great stallion that he rode on. Well, here is Jesus not riding on elephants, not coming on a great stallion. He comes on a donkey, on a colt. This is again, now, now you've got to get this, this is a part of the prophecy that is being fulfilled. You've got your Bibles open to the book of Zechariah. If you would turn over to Zechariah the ninth chapter, and I want you to see verse nine, the coming of the king as prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah the ninth chapter, verse nine, says here Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you. Righteous. And having salvation, now get this though, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Jews recognized that this would be a prophecy, but yet it was one that they ignored because they anticipated that he would be someone like Judas Maccabeus. Now, the, the sad thing about Judas Maccabeus was, even though he led him to great victory, about a year or two later he was killed in battle. Many thought that he was the Messiah. Many thought that he would be the one that would lead them into the grand and glorious kingdom that had been prophesied in the book of, uh, in, the, in, in the Old Testament time. So let's look and see here what we have, the humble entrance. Notice it says that Jesus rode, uh, it says that the, that the one, the coming Messiah, would ride on a donkey. We need to, first of all, learn the lesson of a donkey. Jesus came humbly. He didn't come with triumph and in victory as far as a soldier winning with an army. He came with an army of peace. And he said, this is who I am. I am the king, I am the Lord, but I am the prince of peace. I am the one that is going to bring peace, but it's not like the peace that you think it's going to be. It's not going to be with the sword, but it's going to be with the spirit of the Lord. And so the symbolism is here that as he rides on a donkey, it would be the peace that he would bring to the souls of men. Notice that it says, you're, he comes to you righteous and having salvation. You know, the lesson of the donkey is that God will use anybody, God will use anything to get his message across. Uh, I want you to think about a donkey for a moment. Uh I want you to think about the comparison between a donkey and a horse. A horse is a beautiful creature with long legs and beautiful mane and and you know nice big eyes and and when it snorts and makes noises, it sounds like an engine it sounds like a loc like a like a, a locomotive going down the road now compare that to a donkey i mean you know the donkey has got short shorter legs and uh floppy ears and the, the mane the hair is all wiry and it can't really be combed and and when he makes his noise the bray i mean it's just it's just ridiculous i mean it just sounds so funny it's, there's nothing majestic about a donkey and yet the bible says this is what the lord chose to ride on and not only this but think about it he chose to ride in on a donkey that had never been broken They say, people who know uh, things about horses, equestrians, people who know about horses, will tell you that to ride on a horse, and especially to ride on a donkey, that is uh, one that has never been broken. That's one of the hardest things that could ever be done. In fact, they say that was a miracle in and of itself, for Jesus to get on a colt, a donkey, that had never been broken or never been ridden. So the lesson that we can learn is that God will use anyone, anything for His glory. The other lesson would be this. If God uses you, don't think it's all about you. Don't think it's all about you. Sometimes God uses us and we say, well, isn't God lucky? Uh, Imagine the donkey, if you would. He's he's carrying Jesus into the city and all the cheering is going on. And he says, boy, everybody here is happy to see me. I think I'll say hi to him. And then he makes his noise. Everybody goes, oh, man. But as far as he's concerned, it may be that the donkey is saying, oh, all of this adulation. Look, they're putting palm branches in front of me. Oh, look, they're putting coats and shirts in front of me. Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. I'm so glad they're happy to see me. That's where we fall into a trap oftentimes. The Lord may use us and we'll say, my goodness, it's great. No, it's not what God is doing that uh, is to attract attention to ourselves. It's what God is doing to attract attention to the name of Jesus. So the lesson of this donkey is God will use anyone, anywhere, anytime, regardless of how they look, and God will see to it that he gets the glory. It's not about us. So the first thing I want you to see is that it was a humble entrance. The second thing I want you to see is that there will be a future entrance into the city of Jerusalem. Now, like I said, they were concerned and they wanted it to be that Jesus would slay the Romans right there. I mean, he would just take over and put the Romans in their place. But you and I know it didn't happen that way. But that doesn't mean it won't happen someday. Someday there will be the return of Christ where he will enter the city of Jerusalem and he will set up his throne there and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Go back to the book of Zechariah again and you'll see what I'm talking about. Zechariah the 14th chapter. And look at verse nine. Ah, verse 3, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Zechariah, the 14th chapter. If you would, let me make sure I've got that right. Yeah, verse 4. It says in verse 3, "...the Lord will go out and fight against these nations as He fights in the day of battle." And the prophecy is this, that on that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west... Forming the great valley with half of the mountain moving north and the other half moving to the south. And look what it says again about the coming Messiah in verse nine. The king of uh, the Lord will be king over the whole earth, and on that day there will be one Lord, and his name will be the only name. What Zechariah is saying that when the king comes, on that final day, he will set up his earthly. Kingdom. Now there are all sorts of things that are happening in prophecy that point to the coming again of our Lord. We see the focus of the world continues to be on the Middle East. And it's amazing how that God's days are ordered uh, according to his calendar, not according to man's calendar. I see all kinds of things as we look in Scripture and we see prophecy being fulfilled. Uh, If you'll notice the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem has, well, I can't remember now how many gates there are, but there are a lot of gates that were built around the city of Jerusalem. But there's one gate in particular, and it's called the Eastern Gate. The Eastern Gate is the gate that is prophesied that one day the Messiah will come through. The city of Jerusalem was captured by the Muslims. You remember... If you're a student of history, you know how that the Ottoman Empire spread throughout so much of the Arab world and even into the European world. One of the things that they did was they captured Israel. They captured the city of Jerusalem. And here's what they did. They sealed up the eastern gate. They didn't want it to be close to the dome of the rock. And they had read, they had seen what scripture has said. And they then said, we don't want this Messiah, whoever or whatever he is, coming through the eastern gate. So you know what? To this day, the eastern gate is sealed up. And not only that, what they did in order to fortify the eastern gate, they put a Muslim cemetery right in front of the eastern gate. Because they know that no good Orthodox Jew will walk over a a Muslim graveyard. So there's a Muslim graveyard in front of the eastern gate and that's supposed to stop the Messiah from one day entering into the city of Jerusalem. I've got news for them. It can't stop Jesus when He comes again. (laughs) He will come through that eastern gate. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I see world events taking place that point in that direction. I've made several references a couple of months ago about how that the world is is teetering uh, with all kinds of fear and uncertainty and there is one element within the world that moves the world more than any other element and that would be oil and now there is uh, something about oil that just uh, well nations have to have in order to in order for industrial nations to survive but there's something that, a lot of people are not aware of. And that is the fact that the Arab world is running out of oil. There's something that's called the peak oil theory. When you get home, please don't get your smartphones out and search for it right now. But there's something called the peak oil theory. If you want to look at that later after my sermon's over with, all right, if you want to look at that, you'll see that many scientists have studied, and basically what they've come to the conclusion is this. There's only about 20 to 40 years worth of oil left in the Arab Empire. And I can assure you that the industrial nations of the world are very familiar with that. That's one reason why OPEC works so hard to keep the production of oil down and try and ration it out rather than flood the market with oil, not only to keep the price up, but because they know that as far as 20 to 50 years ago, there's only a limited supply left. So there's a race going on to find alternative fuels, and there's a race also to discover new ways of getting new oil. I believe that what's going on is that God is is bringing about a great miracle that is going to take place in Israel. I've already told you about this incredible find of gas and natural resources that they have found in Israel. When the oil begins to drain, there's a certain country that's to uh, what would be to their east, and it's known as China. And that huge population of 1.3 billion people has to be fed. And along the seacoast, now along the seacoast of China, That part is enjoying a tremendous economic boom. There is a lift going on in China that is unprecedented as far as the pace of the economic lift that is taking place in an industrial world. In a matter of 10 to 20 years, people have leapt leapt years ahead in their economic growth. But outside of that eastern seaboard, inside of China, there are millions and millions and almost a billion people. Now, get this. There's approximately 1.4 billion people now in China. There's approximately a billion people still inside of China that live in abject poverty. Now, when you have the haves and the have-nots, and they all speak the same language, and they basically have uh, a binding culture there's going to come uh, an uncertainty. In other words, one group cannot be fed and have an economic lift without the other looking on with jealousy. So, within China, there is a lot of destabilization going on. And they know that they must have resources to feed and keep stability within their people. China is blessed with a great... Uh, Within their culture, their people are ready to work and work hard, but they lack one thing, and it's called oil. They do not have enough to even touch. Uh, it's like a drop of bucket in the ocean, a, a, a drop in the ocean. Uh, the amount of oil that they possess naturally. It all has to be imported, it all has to be piped into them. I believe that what's going on in the world today is that there is going to continue to be this maneuvering with treaties, with uh, pacts with nations, whereby the natural resources are going to become the bullseye on which people are going to focus. And somewhere Israel is going to fit into all of that. And the nations of the world will look upon Israel and they will say, Why is it, during the time of tribulation, as found in the book of uh, Revelation, why is it that you now have the blessings you must give to us because we're not going to let some small nation possess what we need. When that day comes, that there will be known as what's called the Battle of Armageddon. When that great battle takes place, Jesus will come again, and there will be the future entrance that Zechariah talked about when he will enter the city of Jerusalem and conquer. The Bible says that he will touch down. Zechariah 14, verse 4 says that he will touch down on the Mount of Olives. And when he touches down, now, now think about this, when he touches down the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives will split in two And what's amazing, seismologists have studied the Mount of Olives, and they have discovered that there is a fault that runs right through the Mount of Olives. You know what that fault's waiting on? Jesus big toe to touch that fault, and it's split in two. When it splits in two, the whole world will see. In fact, if you look at your outline, you'll notice that it says that it will be a future entrance, that means that Jesus, when He comes again, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord and everyone will look upon Him. Now, let's go back to Luke, the 19th chapter, and let's see what it says here. As He approached Jerusalem, He saw the city and then He wept over it. He wept over it, first of all, because of the superficial beliefs that they had. Superficial beliefs. Superficial beliefs. He knew that this crowd that was so much in love with him, oh, they would turn against him. Those that were saying, crown him, crown him, would cry out later and say, crucify him, crucify him. This crowd that was saying, hail, hail, king of the Jews, later they would say, nail him, nail him to the cross. So he wasn't swayed by their love and adoration. In fact, the Bible says that he wept, and that word weep, you might want to circle it, and put out to the side, Wild mourning. I mean, he was not just kind of quietly sniffling as he rode the colt and the donkey. He said he was crying. Tears were coming out of his eyes and he was weeping in an audible way. And it must have been amazing to the people as they said, well, we think he's King of kings and Lord of lords and there he is crying. They may have misunderstood the tears, but he knew what was going on. There was this superficial belief that he saw in their hearts. But then there was the spiritual blindness. He knew they couldn't see the future. But he saw the future. Look what it says in verse 43. He says, The enemies will come and put an embankment against you and circle around you and hem you in on every side. He saw the destruction that would come to Jerusalem. In 70 AD, 40 years, approximately 40 years after Jesus was crucified. The Romans rebelled against—I mean, the uh, Jews rebelled against the Romans—and so Rome sent an army to put down the rebellion. They fought hard against the Romans, and so they sent in their general, uh, the Roman general named Titus. Titus brought his army. The Jews resisted hard, and he said, "If you're going to fight hard, I'll fight hard." We know all about this because there's an eyewitness account to the battle by a man by the name of Josephus. Josephus was, now get this, a Jewish soldier. He was Jewish, but he did not believe in the rebellion the Jews had against the Romans, so he fought with the Romans. They commissioned him to be a historian, to write history of the Roman Empire from a Jewish point of view. So he writes firsthand about the battle that took place in 70 A.D. And he said, basically what he says is this, that battle was ugly. What Titus did was he built a wall around the city of Jerusalem. He took timbers and built a wall around the city. And he began to starve the people just like Jesus said in verse 43. Are you reading your Bible, people? Are you listening to what I'm saying? Just like Jesus said it would happen. A wall was built around the city of Jerusalem and he began to starve the people and wake them out. History says, Josephus said that people were dying, both the young and the old, and they were beginning to be stacked in the streets. And then when the city had finally weakened to the point where the Romans were ready, they laid siege to the city. And as the Roman soldiers went in, they spared no one. They slaughtered the women, the babies, the old, the young, it didn't matter. Those who were still strong enough to survive and be of use to them, they made them their slaves or forced them into their army. They came in and destroyed the city. They laid siege to the temple. They destroyed the temple. They even took a pig. Now get this, they took a pig and sacrificed it on the altar in the temple could anything be more blasphemous against god's people than taking a pig an unclean animal like that and sacrificing it on the altar they made a mockery of everything that was jewish and they dispersed the people just like jesus said it would happen now folks if he was right and you know he is if he was right about what would happen to the city of jerusalem don't you think he's also right about his coming again? Amen? <laughs> if he could get that right, he could also get right the fact that he says, one day, I'll come again. When I come again, the Bible says that he, in Revelation, will descend from heaven. The shout, and the voice of an archangel, and the trump of God. The Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together to meet him In the air, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Don't be spiritually blind. Jesus said, you can't see what's about to happen. But if you would open your eyes, you could see the spiritual truth that God has for you. You know, things haven't changed. Jesus is still coming to people and they're ignoring Him or they're turning away from Him. You know, we do the same thing today. We may sing about Jesus on Sunday morning and then ignore Him the rest of the week. We may talk the talk uh, in church, but when we leave the church, we don't walk the walk at all. Jesus said that is being spiritually blind. But open your eyes, my friends, and look and listen to what He has to say to us. I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus is more than you need in life, and He's enough for you to have in life. Don't turn away from Him and don't ignore Him. Listen, I need the Lord Jesus in my life. I need Him. I need my spiritual eyes to be open. I need my ears to be listening. I need for my heart to be beating after Jesus. He is enough. He is all that I need in my life. There is so much. There is so much sin. There is so much hatred. There is so much jealousy. There is so much malice. There is so much of everything and corruption in my heart. And to think about the fact that He, the Lord Jesus, is willing to come in and cleanse a heart like mine. Cleanse it and purify it from all unrighteousness. Make me pure and holy before Him and save me and sanctify me and make me a child of His to think that He would do that. I cannot resist. He is an irresistible Savior how can anyone else how can anyone resist and turn away from such a savior the conclusion i have for this message is this conclusion those who open their eyes rejection of jesus though those who open their eyes and turn away receive judgment those who turned away from jesus that day they received judgment it was judgment they brought upon themselves but those who received jesus And really receive Him and open their heart. It leads to a heart of praise. Jesus said to the Pharisees, as they said, Oh, Jesus, tell them to be quiet. He said, listen, I can't tell them to be quiet. I can't even tell the rocks to be quiet. Because if the rocks want to cry out, they're going to cry out. So I want to know, is there anyone here today that needs a Savior? I want to know if there's anyone here that needs a Lord and Master of their life. I want to know if there's anyone here that needs to come and receive Jesus. He's coming down the aisle. He is speaking His words. He is weeping over the sins of the city. He is calling to everyone who will come to Him. And that would be you today.